Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Welcome to the pod, guys. I think today is a perfect opportunity for Long Long Jacqueline, who is here in spirit, and myself to say a big thank you to all our listeners in general, but especially those who have stuck with us right from the very start. I can tell you that Long Long Jacqueline and I have high hopes for the podcast, and none of it would be possible without you guys and your support. So thank you for tuning in every week, even though I know we can be a bit hit and miss sometimes. One of those longtime listeners is, in fact, our guest today. Servo, who regularly messages us after every drop. That means episode. Welcome to the show today, Servo, and it's a real pleasure to have you on today. Thank you very much. You made him sound like a loser. Yeah. <laughs> like... After every drop, I've got nothing yeah. else to do. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in all fairness, I, I'd like to say at the beginning, I mean, I've been enjoying your podcast literally from the beginning. And, you know, it might sound cringy, but that's okay. I'm sure Dan says plenty of cringy stuff, yeah. which I've heard. And mm. I'm sure you're no exception, but no, it's, no. Brought a lot of smiles. <laughs> it's brought a lot of smiles to me, a lot of laughter. You know, during the lockdowns, we were allowed to walk around in Singapore without masks, just headphones or whatever. And I literally listened. I think I joined a bit later, but I went back and listened to every episode. And then from, from you guys, I also learned about other podcasts, which are nowhere near as good as you but they fill the hours in between. So, okay, so do you mind like naming all the other podcasts which are not as good? <laughs> no, let's not even give them that credit. Let's not even give them that. <laughs> I mean, some of them you've interviewed. Some of them you've interviewed. And uh, yeah. I have to say, you know, I've enjoyed that as well. And actually, London, I think I told you, some of the yeah. gentlemen that you've interviewed, I've actually met here in Singapore and had dinner with them and stuff and made yeah. some friendships yeah. out mm. of listening to you guys, which I think is great, you know? Yeah. Absolutely great collecting fees right. right now sorry yeah <laughs> well i think this is uh, going to be a double episode uh so make sure you stay in, stay tuned for the second part especially those who want to just tune in for the watch talk because in this one we're just going to have a general chat with servo who I, I had the pleasure to talk with before this podcast and there was just so much in his life that happened that i thought you know to most people or i'm sure to him like he would think it's innocuous but I think there are little parts of inspiration there that, that we can all take away. So, yeah, like I said, thank you for joining us today. So I'm going to start now, Servo. You are now based in Singapore, but actually originally like me from the UK, but of uh, Indian rather than Chinese heritage and raised in Slough, which is about 15, 20 minutes car from like where I was. Were your parents immigrants like mine? Yes. So... Uh, a lot of similarities there, only that I was from a really nasty part of England <laughs> compared to you. <laughs> so where you want to skip on the M4 and go straight past. No offence to Slough. Um, but yeah, I was born in Slough, raised there until I was about 12. And then we moved to an even nastier place uh, called Bedfont, which is just next to Heathrow Airport. Actually, I, I liked it. You know, I have to, I'm not complaining. Both places were fine when I was growing up. And I grew up pretty much... Both uh, twelve until uh, up until twelve at Slough, and then from twelve onwards in uh, Bedfont, which is very close to Heathrow Airport, like I mentioned. But I spent a lot of time in India, you know, going back and forth. I think you also went back and forth to Hong Kong a bit, so I spent a lot of time going back and forth to India throughout my youth. And uh, specifically, I'm Punjabi, which is on the north of India, the troublemakers. Mm -hmm. 
so like I actually went to Hong Kong during holiday time. When I say holiday time, um, school holiday time. But I believe that you were not following that routine. Am I right? Um, we went through all the holidays. My father worked for airlines. Yeah, so we would always get free tickets, you know, or cheap tickets. But then every now and then he'd just pull us out of the class and say, okay, we're going to fly today. We got a ticket. Let's go. And he'd walk into the school and ask us to do that, which was all right because we love to go to India. I think the longest we did was like three or four months. Not sure what the school felt about that, but they didn't get much option really. <laughs> Probably impacted my upbringing and my English. Right. So, like I said, I, I had the liberty of talking to you before. And one of the first things that I found was very interesting the little story you told me about how you got your first job. Can you share that with us? Um, the very first one, the the retail. Yes. Yeah. So it was, um, I can't remember what year it was, but, uh, you know, as you know, Daniel, you know, and with along as well, if, especially if you're immigrant parents and you don't have lots of cash hanging around, you work yeah. between the holidays. Yeah. So from 13, I worked in newspaper rounds. But when it got to 18, you could apply for like a, a better job with a bit more money. But the idea was to convince whoever you're applying for that you're not working for just for summer. If you were, if you told me working just for summer, you wouldn't get the uh, job. So, yeah. so it was it was Heathrow Airport. They're opening up Terminal Four, and uh, there's lots of new shops opening up, and they had all the different companies, all the different brands having their little stalls, and you could literally stand up, well, not stand up, get there, wait in line, and get a turn to be interviewed. So when my turn came up, actually, I didn't, one thing I didn't tell you, I specifically waited. For a particular woman to interview me you could there was like a panel of six people or six people interviewing different desks and each time you know, they said next i would wait until the one i thought looked like she was most likely to employ me she had a nice way about her you know i sounds really corny but it was like a she had a smile she had a look and she was very pleasant in how she was talking to people and quite engaged quite intense how she was looking so i waited for her and then i convinced her that you know i should get the job and she actually said to me, um, we'd like for you to become a management trainee. We'll help pay for your education and we'll give you a good shot at it. And But it was like a lot of convincing on my side, if I want to see it, to try to convince her. But from her side, I have to say, uh, she had a bit of faith in me in, uh, in literally an hour. And I ended up working there for like four years. And they made arrangements mm -hmm. so I could literally continue my studies and work there. And they helped finance some of that as well, which was great experience. Well, weren't you the only candidate to turn up in a shirt and tie? Do you think that had something to do with it? You've got a good memory. But all, all my friends turned up wearing like T-shirts, you know? They're all like just dressed, literally got out of bed, you know, the hair like one side. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, oh, let's just get out. You know, and, I, you know, as strange as it might sound, but I kind of, I always like perfumes. And I don't mind wearing a suit. I don't mind wearing a tie. So that particular day, I made a real, I had a shave, you know. I had very long hair back then, hard to imagine now, but... I had very long hair and I had it you know, neatly kind of, you know, tied up. Don't laugh too much. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was it was bizarre in length. It was down to my butt, actually. But I kind of hid it, hid it behind. <laughs> I hid it behind my back quite neatly and it looked presentable. Tie, shirt, even the square of my dad's aftershave, probably Old Spice or something, you know, something terrible. But I made a real effort and my friends like, literally got up out of bed as they were, and no one got a job except for me. I have a really random question, like completely <laughs> off topic, but it's like, do you have a routine for, like, do guys have a routine when they have long hair? 
like after you wash your hair do you put on like conditioner like like what's the routine like so it basically the same as what women do okay you know, exactly the same but the, the only thing was i i would have i wouldn't dry it i would dry it like with a towel and a little bit <laughs> Yeah. But because it was so curly, if I use anything to dry, I'd have an afro. You know, it was full on. Oh, wow. It, it was pretty, pretty. I mean, people would stop me and say, is that a wig? I was like, no, it's the real deal. It's the real deal. Interesting. Yeah. So you worked at this company, Jaeger, it was. And, yeah. you know, they wanted you to go to Japan. Um, and But I understand, like, there was also another company. I think it was Bali, right? That took yeah, an interest right. yeah. in so, you. Uh, so whilst working, yeah. Uh, go on, so whilst, you go for it. Whilst working at Bali, uh, sorry, whilst working at Jaeger, Bali said to me, uh, actually the, the manager said to me, I've noticed that I've been watching you from across the way, you know, there's like a little coffee shop there. Um, and I've noticed that every customer that's coming in is walking away with lots of shopping. I said, really? He said, yeah, you seem to be doing pretty well. <laughs> and actually, as it turns out, I was doing something like 34% of all the sales in my day There'd be like 11 people there, but I would do a massive amount of sales. And wow. um, that impressed him. And he said, look, I'll give you a job working at my place, which is literally next door. Just tell me how much money you want. And Dad, you probably remember, you know, this is like a long time ago. In the UK, salaries aren't huge even now. But yeah. I was part-time and I was offered £24,000, which for me yeah. was a lot of cash. And commission. And commission on ladies' shoes was 8%. I love selling ladies' shoes <laughs> and ladies' handbags. Uh, and men's shoes were a bit less, I think. But yeah, it was um, really, really good. And when I was at Bali, I had all different types of customers. And of course, being at the airport, you'd have Italians and French and all the rest of it, but a lot of Asian customers. And they were always the sweetest. They're always the most polite, always the nicest. And the most time, even if their flight was about to go, they'd sort of listen to you yak because they're just respectful mostly like 95% and of those the japanese were particularly nice they're always very you know as we all know living in asia they're all very they were at least very polite at least to your face what they said behind me don't care but to my face they were absolutely lovely and i thought if i learn a few words you know i can engage with them and and if i can understand what they want i could probably get the sale even better so i taught myself japanese actually i started learning japanese at home you know just got a book it's called japanese for busy people i still recommend it and it literally is a great name right um, and i started, <laughs> yeah. I started reading that and it had little you know words here and there and i managed to get loads and some of the customers taught me and by the end of it the, sh the manager of the shop was so impressed they actually paid for me to learn japanese they actually said look we'll give some extra money uh continue learning and uh hence my love of all things japanese mm. So that was the start of your connection with Japan then, I take it. Correct, yeah, yeah. I had a few friends who were Japanese. I, I kind of grew up with them. They were in the area. There's a couple of people I knew. But, you know, they, we all spoke in English. And uh, they were like international students first, but were living there. So I didn't really engage with them in Japanese. Didn't really have a connection to them, apart from mm. just knowing, like, you know, a Chinese person or an Indian person. Mm. But uh, through the airport, I started understanding their culture a little bit more. Which was nice. Mm. Okay. So you're like an 18, 19 year old on 24K on a part time job, right? 24K mm. part time is just even ridiculous in itself. You know, that people earn that full time mm. in, in the UK, right? Plus commission. Yeah. And you're making money as a musician because I know yes. you know, at the time you're a budding uh, musician. Yeah. Even on 
either of those salaries at that age, you're doing pretty good for yourself, right? To yeah, have those yeah. combined. Yeah, I lived pretty uh, crazy though. <laughs> I didn't. I, I I wasted money every day, but uh, I I actually started playing guitar when I was about sixteen, and I don't think I told you the reason why I started was my neighbor one day from her garden. I heard a guitar being played, and I thought wow, I can recognize the tune, and it was a song called Apache by a band called The Shadows, which was from the fifties, way before any of us were born. But I recognized it. I thought, whoa, somebody's playing something I can recognize on an instrument right next door. It just blew my mind away, you know? I kind of, I really appreciate it. So I looked over, and it was my friend Rachel, and uh, I said, I've got to have that guitar. And she was like, go and get your own. <laughs> I said, no, no. <laughs> if, I, if I buy that one, I know I'm going to learn. I know I'm going to get good. She didn't understand why, because the actual truth was, I had one, bought one before, and I was tuning it up. I tuned it up so high, I literally took my thumb off. It, the cut from the string severed my thumb around here, and I never played guitar again. That was like three years prior to that particular time. Lucky I wasn't naked to my nipple off, but, you know, <laughs> imagine that. You know, it was, it was pretty <laughs> scary at the time, right? So getting Rachel's guitar was like the first thing. But again, I couldn't really play it. And literally the same week, we had a, you know, sub teacher, you know, you get teachers that kind of come in while your teacher's pregnant or on yeah. holiday or whatever. And if you think about it, I'm like 16. So we're all boys at 16 and a 23 year old girl is not that far away when you're 16. Mm. And she was just so, so pretty. Like the boys were just glued. We like, we couldn't move away from her. Everybody <laughs> wanted to English. I signed up for English literature and English yeah. language and Everything English, right? Hoping she'd stay. But I remember the first day, at the end of the first kind of session, she said, tell me what you love. <laughs> and she asked everybody, you know, as someone said, oh, I love my mum and dad, you know, I love this, I love that, I love my dog. And we all said, I can't remember what I said. I probably said, you know, something stupid, you know, like, I, mean, I love um, Balak Baneer, the Indian. <laughs> <laughs> probably something stupid, right? But someone said to her, Miss, what do you love? What do you love? And she said, I remember, forget this, she kind of tossed her hair back and she kind of was in deep thought. She went, there's nothing sexier than a man playing guitar and singing a song. <laughs> Literally six of us yeah. to this day still play guitar. <laughs> 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 Never saw her after that semester. But yeah, that was how we started playing guitar. And those friends, I will send them the link to this because they are all guitarists <laughs> still. <laughs> so I, I want to ask um, you know, in our generation, I, I guess a lot of people put priority on going to university and then, you know, after that getting, um, you know, saving enough money uh, to put a down payment on a house, you know, and really hunkering down in their career while you were, you know, rocking it, playing as a musician, gigging around and having these aspirations to go to Japan, right. And travel like, and now you tell the story very um, matter-of-factly, but what really was going on in your mind back then? Did you feel any well, pressure? Yeah, well, I had a lot of pressure from my family. You know, my my parents, of course, you know, wanted me to go to college, go to university, get an education, become a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant, or something boring. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a dentist, you know? <laughs> could have been handy, right? Yeah, even <laughs> more boring. you know... <laughs> Something they could be, they could say, my son is, you know, which is yeah. normal, right? I, I completely yeah. get that. 
I'd love it if my daughters were both doctors. I'd love it. But, <laughs> you know, I'd love it more if they were rock stars. <laughs> you know? But uh, that's me. So, you know, I had that pressure and not for my mum so much. She was like, just go with what you want to do. But um, in general, there was pressure from my, my father, especially. And uh, looking back, it wasn't bad pressure. It was just pressure to do well, you know, to be successful. Um, but I didn't want it. I really did not want it. In fact, the more I was told to do something, the less I wanted to do it. If I was told to study, I wouldn't. You know, it was just like, I just do the opposite. Mm -hmm. Cut your hair. Nope. When they stopped giving up, they, when they stopped telling me to cut my hair, I cut it all off. <laughs> it was just like a rebellious thing. It's stupid, really. But I cut it all off, you know. And, um, you know, the idea of going to university, you know, somehow appealed. And I went to a college, which I could continue to do, get a degree. But I just got wound up with the teachers, you know. They, they just annoyed me. And I actually told the before I kind of quit, I said to the guy, you know, you know, I'm sorry, I don't think I've learned anything in here in the last year and a half has any value whatsoever. <laughs> and he's looked at me, this guy had a beard, had a big beard and big hair. And he had a 911, Porsche 911, mm. yeah, which was parked downstairs at the, at the college. I think it was his, right? I'm pretty sure it was his. And I said, the only thing that I've ever enjoyed coming to this school is to see that car. Every day I, <laughs> I looked at it for 10 minutes. I, I did. I'm not joking. I looked, and the first car I got was a Porsche 911, black and all the rest of it. First nice car. And I said, that's the only thing I've enjoyed. So I bid you adieu. And I left. Never went back. And he was like, well, when are you coming back? I said, no, that's it. <laughs> see you later. Sayonara. <laughs> you know. And uh, I just followed my heart. You know, I just thought I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. And so how did you actually end up getting to Japan? Did you go on there by your own means or did the actually company did you actually Yeah, so I, so I I saved up lots of money, you know, as I said. And, um, and the, the band was getting a little bit, you know, and I was playing a lot, three or four nights a week, you know, doing covers, the regionals. And, you know, I was really into it. I would always ring up and get the gigs and we'd organize buses to go there for people. And you know, I really enjoyed that time, if I might say. There's it, nothing to regret about that. But it came a point where, I just wanted a break and some of the guys in the band also wanted a break um and i thought i'm just gonna go on a world tour so i started off you know went around europe a little bit spent a lot of time in india uh, i think I went to thailand then um hong kong actually in the old airport you know when it was scary to oh, land yeah. Yeah. yeah and then um and then from there i ended up in tokyo my plan was to go on to australia but in tokyo i just loved it i just landed and i remember thinking I just I just felt so at home, strangely. It wasn't like anyone was particularly welcoming me. It wasn't like I had friends there, but I just felt really comfortable in my own skin there, you know, and people were genuinely polite. And I don't I it didn't bother me if it was polite because they were just being polite. It's better than being rude, right? Mm -hmm. You know? And that I really took I took to that. And I think I felt like um you know, I might have said this before to one of you, but you know Tintin or Tantan, you know, the Tintin you know, comic books? You know, one day you see, you know, Tintin and Snowy in Belgium or France or whatever, you know, it's raining and, you know, it's freezing cold. And the next you see them in Acapulco or somewhere, you know, I felt like that. I felt like it's me in the same skin, same clothes. One day, dull, grey, miserable, overcast England. Nothing wrong with England, but the weather is not the best. And the next day, I was in autumn in Japan. It was just the colors. It was like someone turned the light switch on and turned the, the colors on my eyes. Just I, It was the first time I appreciated color in trees 
you know, was in Japan. Of course, when I went back to London, I appreciated the greenery mm. there. It was almost like a switch, you know, was turned on. So I just fell in love with the place. And then I used up all the money I had <laughs> to pay for my education. I lived in a stupidly expensive place, which I shouldn't have done. But that soon, the money started, you know, running out quite soon. So then I started selling guitars, which I had lots of guitars. And that funded me for a few years. I stayed there about two and a half years, I think, studying. Uh, but, you know, and I learned Japanese during that time. Mm. How was life in Japan for those years? Was it, you know, I take it because you kind of funded it yourself. You weren't in the same line of business with uh, fashion or retail? No, actually, I couldn't get a job. That was my biggest struggle. You know, it was hard to get a job, even though I had a visa where I could work. I did have some animosity towards me because a lot of the students were teaching English. They're also white. Mm. So when I applied for some jobs, I was straightforward told me, I mean, you're not white. I said, well, I'm born in London. And actually, I probably studied English more than some of these mm. cowboys. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't sound like, oh, I'm right. You know, I don't sound like that. You know, <laughs> Nothing wrong with sounding like that either. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, they were like, it was a little bit of, no, sorry. So the only jobs I could actually get were cleaning jobs. So I did a cleaning job at night. And uh, one day I did a car wash job in winter. I lasted one morning. It was so cold. My hands were freezing. I don't know how they did it. I said, you can keep the, you can keep the money, but I ain't coming back. The cleaning was much more fun. So I kind of did a bit of cleaning jobs, you know, and then eventually I did get some teaching jobs. I got a job teaching drama. <laughs> I just convinced them I could do it. I said, give me a script and I can I can try it. So they said, all right, just, just read something that you know. So I just made up the script actually a little bit from an Elvis movie. and then i quoted a little bit of uh, um um, a bit of shakespeare Mm -hmm. and they actually gave me a few lines to read and they said how would you teach that so i just kind of i did drama at school i kind of made it up and that's good enough so i worked there for a couple of years you know and uh i taught a bit of guitar you know on the side so i did a few odd jobs here and there but i like doing little things here and there just to supplement the lifestyle and not be so kind of you know dragged into a nine-to-five routine at that time especially so would you say you had any kind of plan um in that kind of part of your life and i was also going to ask since you were gigging in england was that not an option in japan either i did a few but in japan the gigging scene was not as good and in japan also um they didn't pay very much so i I did play i played for pleasure and i it's funny because i didn't think i would get a chance to play in japan but uh i did bring one guitar with me and my first weekend i ended up playing with a bunch of people i met and uh, I jammed with them regularly, but it didn't work in the same way as the UK. The UK, we would get something from the from the door. In Japan, sometimes you ended up paying to play, which was very disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not the same scene as the UK. But for fun, absolutely. And I made a lot of friends through music as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting the kind of feeling that for these and few no plan, years... By the way, you asked, you asked about plan. Yeah. No plan. Literally day yeah. to day. <laughs> day to day. <laughs> so how long did that last for? Um... Up until about six years. Okay. Because there was a particular story of where you told me you were on your brother's couch and you kind of knew that. Yeah, Yeah, so for six years I did kind of that. You know, I did like odd jobs. You know, I I remember I met somebody in Tokyo who said they're looking to buy footballs and India manufactures football. So I bought a ticket to go to India and I found a place that manufactures them. I convinced them that I could take care of the logistics and everything, which I did. Bought, got loads of samples. I made them pay with the samples, <laughs> and uh, and and when the first order came in, it was rubbish. I couldn't sell them. 
but the samples actually gave me enough money to cover that little trip and get a little bit on top, you know. So I did like all sorts of weird things. I did a bit of translation, even though my Japanese was not perfect. I convinced a, a very large motor company to help to, to allow me to help them to set up their site manufacturing site in India. And I, I spoke to the board member of that company, and I had met him randomly through a friend. And for some reason, he said, "Yeah, we need a translator. Maybe you can help us." So it's like a two-week gig, but they paid me like you know ten thousand know dollars sing dollars or whatever it was so that covered me for a couple of months so there's a little bit of that but it was all good so eventually that plane ticket i had which had already expired and didn't get to australia i bought a new ticket went to australia and i was still in my 20s so i got a working holiday visa and i ended up at my brother's place and my brother is much more professional than me he, he cut his hair he was always shaved he had a proper nine to five job. He had a company car when he was younger than me. You know, well, he's always been younger than me. When, when, <laughs> when, we, were, when, we, were, when we were both very young, when we were both very young. When, we were, when I was like 22, 23, he was already looking like a professional, and I was still, you know, looking like a bit of a loser, right? You know, <laughs> uh, walking walking around with a guitar case, <laughs> trying to bust for some money. But uh, he was doing quite well, and uh, I he let me crash at his place. Um, and he'd just been married for a short time. So that was probably annoying at the time for him and his wife, more for his wife than him, because we just had a good laugh yeah, every day. Yeah. And boys <laughs> watching movies. I can imagine the watching... wife is like, what? Yeah. yeah. We just got married. Once, once the bedroom door closes, it's like, how long is he here for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, she was very sweet, you know, and uh, he, he was great. And we had a, we had a good time. And uh, during that time, uh, a dinner party at his place, like a you know more of a guy's dinner party in that there's people wandering around eating slices of pizza and cheese and all the rest of it there's a very nice attractive blonde lady and i'm thinking wow she's pretty you know it's a what we call a dick fest otherwise but there's one blonde lady there, right? and uh I, th- I thought i'll come and go and say hello like you do so i said to her hello you know how are you she went, yeah, good good and i guess uh, what, what do you do you know if she had an english accent oh you're living in, Sing- in sydney she, yeah so what do you do she goes oh i'm a recruitment agent I said, wow, perfect. I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for a job. And she went, perfect. W- what do you do? I said, well, I-, I can do a bunch of stuff. What, do you- what are you yeah. specializing in? She goes, well, I actually worked with your brother and uh, I'm in the logistics space. Yeah. I said, I'm really interested in logistics. She went, really? I said, yeah, I'm fascinated. I mean, I was just playing along with it, right? Yeah. But I was probably overdoing it. And then she <laughs> said to me, yeah, but I only focus on Japanese companies. I said, Perfect. I speak Japanese. <laughs> and she walked away. She literally walked away. And she went up to my brother, made a kind of rude gesture with her hand, pointed at me. And, and then he smiled, laughed, called me over. I said, yeah, that's my brother. Yeah, and he does speak Japanese. So she was, wow, really? Say something. And of course, when people say, say something. What do you mean to say? You know, Toyota, Suzuki, <laughs> Kawasaki. <laughs> Fujisan, <laughs> Seiko, Grando Seiko. What do you want know to say? But um, anyway, she was enough convinced and she set up an appointment for me two days later. And that was a story because I got there. Again, I was wearing a blue blazer. I know you like blazers. Aquascutum, I remember it. And like a nice shirt, nice tie, grey trousers, very old school English kind of style. And uh, cufflinks, all the rest of it from uh, Aquascutum as well. And... Um, I get to this appointment. It's a really nice 
lady. She looked Italian, and it turns out she was she had like dark hair, olivey skin, lovely lady, lovely smile, very welcoming. Asked me to kind of tell tell about tell my tell tell her about myself, which I did, and she was more fascinated because she had a son that was my age. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, "How have you gotten up to here without really, you know, doing anything?" I said, well, I've been doing lots of stuff. And she says, why do you want to work here? And so I gave her a bit of a pitch. And after an hour, she said, look, you're a lovely young man, but unfortunately I can't employ you because you don't have a visa mm. and you don't have any experience. Uh, and I literally didn't tell her. I, did, I told her this. I said, I've applied for like 40 jobs. She went, really? I said, I've applied for about 40 jobs. And they all say the same thing. Mm. She says, well, I, I don't know how to help you. I said, look, how can we do this? How about I work for free for six months, you know, and if at the end of six months, I'm terrible, you just fire me. You just tell me to get lost. But if I'm any good, you keep me on. And Lena McLennan, that's her name, and Lena, she somehow or other said, okay, let's do it. But she'll pay me like an intern salary, like some peanut amount, you know, just to pay for the bus fare. I didn't have a car. And uh, I ended up being very successful there. It's a Japanese company, and uh, I ended up doing some huge sales to the point where I was even flown to Japan and met with uh, Kaicho, the chairman, and you know, allowed to do a cheers with him, have a photograph, and then told him to bugger off back to Australia. So my salary went up like really well, and uh, I did very well from that. And I have great memories of working with her and the many people I met, actually. And it's all about from that, Bali Jaeger is about taking care of customers. Each time, I wasn't the most experienced person in the room, the most knowledgeable, but uh, I managed to get the best sales in each of these companies. And it's probably, without playing my own trumpet, continued. Whenever I hmm. talk to you, by the way, I'm always like, are you like the luckiest guy on earth? Like you just do a bunch of like spontaneous things and then they all fall into place. Yeah, and my, my one of my friends actually said that when we were kids. He said... Uh, You've got this, uh, he's got this lucky streak, you know. And he said, if you start playing poker, you're probably going to win, yeah. you know. But I don't, I don't gamble, <laughs> but I, I, I do feel blessed that I think it's, I do believe that serendipity plays a big part, you know, in everyone's life, but in my life, you know, particularly, you know, how you bump into people mm -hmm. and how that changes your life, you know. You know, when I was working in Australia, um, and when uh, going back now to the UK, when I first got that guitar that little guitar from my friend next door. I couldn't play it, of course. And the teacher threw me out because I can't hold the pick properly. You're supposed to hold it a certain way. I can't, you know, and he said, oh, you're rubbish. You're never going to play. Get out. But uh, a, a little punk used to live around my area, Paul. He had like a shaved head or Mohican or something and tattoos. And we were like 16 years old. I mean, this guy was the guy you cross the street when you see him. He looked like a skinhead, you know, a real troublemaker. But he saw my guitar and he started to say, oh, you play guitar? So well, I'll try and learn. He said, I'll show you a bit. And Paul started teaching me, introduced me to another guy, Danny. You know, he, he taught me heaps. So these two or three guys, Nathan, they, they taught me how to play. And fast forward from 16 to like 28, I get a random phone call from Paul saying, my company's in trouble. I need some help. Um, it's a shipping issue. Can you help me out? So he's in England. I'm in Australia. I have not spoken to him for like six years, but somehow or other, he knows what I'm doing by my parents or something. And uh, he reaches out. And that day, it was really 
really fortunate because during that week, I had helped out a colleague who had suffered a really severe case of diarrhea in my car. <laughs> and I'd helped him I out. I didn't think you were going to share that part, but good <laughs> yeah, on you for doing right. so. I mean, that colleague, I don't know where he is, a Japanese dude. He'd had a heavy night in Japan, not in, in Sydney, and he was violently sick, you know, both ends, right? But I helped him out like an adult would help a kid out, you know? I wasn't like, ooh, you know, I felt bad for the guy. He was feeling worse than I was, right? And it was a company car anyway, right? Someone will clean it. But uh, I helped him out. So when I rang him up about this issue that my friend Paul was experiencing, they, he fixed it on the spot. And that fix on the spot, resulted in me being offered a job by a company which i worked for for three years after that because in that room when i was fixing the issue the uh ceo happened to be there and he said first of all i don't didn't can't understand how indian bloke speaks japanese and secondly we'd be trying to fix this for a month and you fixed it in an afternoon whatever it is you want let me know i want you to work for me and he was sending me messages like every month every month and eventually i said you know uh, I can't say no. He, he was literally, name your price, and I want you working with me. So he made me a really good offer. I ended up going to Japan and working there for him and the company for a few years. And uh, no regrets. Yeah, I, you know, actually, one of my questions, that Lang Lang asked it, which is Steve Jobs once said that when you look back on your life, somehow the dots seem to join. Do you think that? Yeah, I do. I do. That's exactly why I was, you've described it very well. It's like all these little things. And it's like from different places, you know, a dude in Japan, someone in Hong Kong, someone in, in Paris, you know, an Italian friend who's helped me out. It just all connects. Somehow, His point was that when you're going through it, they don't make any sense. They only make sense mm -hmm. when you look back. So that's what that I, I always remember that particular line in this. Uh, I think it was Harvard or something. Uh, one of these uh, uh, college like starting speeches that he did and it just really stuck and when i heard your story i was like wow you know you just kept going but there's also another story i'd like love you for you to share which is i think it was back when you were at the logistics company and you noticed this particular company that never made any oh, sense yeah. to you yeah could you just yeah, explain, so, tell us that story yeah so when i joined that company where the italian lady gave me the job i really hadn't no any clue i had zero idea and it wasn't like somebody said look this is our value proposition. This is what we do. They usually said, you know, get your own phone. Here's a laptop and good luck. <laughs> okay. What do I do? How do I sell? You know, how am I pitching what we do? And, you know, you can look for the internet, but there wasn't really any support. And that was an issue that I experienced then. And it hasn't really changed in a lot of logistics companies, if you ask me. Yeah. And a lot of junior people often suffer, you know, because they haven't really been led the right way. So I felt the same. And it wasn't any reflection on the management. It was just on the manager. It was the people in between who were not really, um, you know, supportive. Maybe they felt competition. So being quite an inquisitive chap, I would see a sign every day as I drove over a certain street and it said striker. And I thought, well, it looks like an interesting sign. I wonder what they do. So randomly, I just phoned them and said, hello. All right. <laughs> I'm from so-and-so <laughs> company. Uh, do you guys ship anything? I mean, what a stupid thing to say. Do you ship anything? And they said, yeah, we ship everything all day, every day. <laughs> it was Australian, you know, so they're a bit funny. They're like, what do you want to know? I said, can I get to ship some of it? And the lady said, I don't know. You have to talk to the guy who's in charge. I said, all right. So first of all, I should say, I should find out if they ship. 
in my sales pitch, mm -hmm. investigate. Secondly, I should ask for the right person, not the receptionist. And then thirdly, I better think about what I got to say. You know, and she's literally led me to this, right? In the first, and this was like one of the first calls in the first month or so. So, or first two months. So I managed to get to the right person. And uh, his name was David Swain. I remember his name. And he's a very nice chap. And he said to me, uh, yeah, come in and see me next week. And then he fobbed me off no, next week, next, the week after. I think it took a few weeks to finally see him. But I persisted. I just called him every day. He said, give me a call before you come. So I'd ring him up in the morning, 10 o'clock. So you okay for today, 2 o'clock? No, mate, come next week. Carried on for weeks. It didn't really bother me. I thought he's, he's just busy. Finally, I see him. And then he says, um, okay, get me a quotation from Ireland, actually. And he asked very specific information. I came with a response, and he asked me maybe 10 questions, and I had no clue what he wanted. I was like, what? He said, uh, you know, what kind of aircraft is it? Uh, how big are the doors? I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean by how big are the doors? That big. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this big? <laughs> and he was like, he said, is, is it the same plane coming from Ireland, or does it change? So I said, how does it matter? <laughs> he said, well, if one plane is delayed, it won't make the other plane. Okay. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So let's find out. And it, 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 all the questions he asked were the questions that I use for my pitch, you know, or to really understand how to get people to buy into it. I think he was like doing the wax on, wax off, you know, <laughs> the Miyagi thing, you know, because he was like, come back next week. And so I went back the next week. And I did this for like, I reckon a month, at least a month after the first meeting. And, and eventually he said, I'll give you this business to start. If you do a good job, I'll give you that. It became our biggest customer. You know, this customer became massive. It's strike and med surge to do orthopedic implants, but we got everything they do. You know, all the beds, you know, the surgical instruments. And it was quite a few scary things. I got invited to an autopsy. I wouldn't recommend that, you know, but, uh, um, you know, you can see their products being used, mm -hmm. but absolutely lovely bloke who really helped me and taught me a lot. But again, it was like a bit of inquisition, you know, a bit of serendipity, you know, and a bit of just going for it, you know. I think that was, uh, and that really helped me a lot financially as well, and the company too. And he employed a lot of people, actually. And and you've done really well. Like, I mean, you are have a lot of watches because you're a big watch collector. So you've done really well for yourself. But if you could give some of our younger listeners or those starting out or even those which are going through some difficult times, what advice would you give? I know what advice would you give like... me? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say us. But... My life is falling apart. <laughs> oh, come on. No, no. Yeah, life guru. <laughs> I want to be you. <laughs> uh, no, good question. And I, I, I think, you know, I haven't thought about it deeply this this second, but I have thought about that. And I thought, what what makes what makes someone successful? I think what's really critical, I believe, is persistence. The theme for me has always been persistence. You cannot just give up after the first failure, or whatever it is. Not necessarily getting a job. Even I apply this to even playing guitar or learning a language. You know, I didn't mention this, but. Prior to learning Japanese, I studied German, French, Italian, and a couple of others, which are Chinese, which I don't want to go into because I'm terrible. But I genuinely tried them. I signed up for evening classes. I really wanted to learn them. But I, you know, I didn't give up. I still pursued them. 
But then I was trying various things, see what suited me most. And Japan, Japanese just fell in there, you know, from the work aspect. So, and again, it wasn't like it was really easy to learn. It took effort. So persistence, I think, is critical. I think a positive attitude, it kind of goes in with that, you know, because if you believe that you're going to be successful, you probably will. And it might not be exactly what you want, but those dots, as you pointed out, Daniel, will take you maybe somewhere where you didn't expect. And it might be a better route. So persistence, positive attitude. And I think you've got to have integrity. You've got to be honest. And you've got to, you've got to build trust. You have to be a trustworthy person. And you have to trust people. You know, There's people who operate small businesses who will never grow their business because they don't trust people. They can't build trust and they can't give trust. You know, It always fascinates me how quickly some companies grow doing one thing and another company just cannot get to that same level they're even selling the same thing because the culture within the company eats their strategy for breakfast as drucker said right their culture their lack of trust their lack of integrity with their employees their customers breaking that that basically makes them fail so i think on a personal level for a young person being persistent having you know a real positive attitude and you know, I think that you have got to you got to have you can't be fearful. You know, you know, for salespeople especially, I talk about salespeople. Number one killer for salespeople is their fear of rejection. So if you've got the persistence and you've got the positive attitude and you're willing to learn, of course, you know, you can't repeat the same pitch every day. They're not being successful. That will make you successful, I believe. In, the, in no matter what you do, my thoughts. Well, thank you for sharing that. I have a few questions on top of that. I'd, I'd love to pick your brain on is you say persistence. Um, but did you ever feel like giving up? Is that a mindset in itself? That's number one. And then number two, a lot of your life, especially at the beginning where you were laying everything and then somehow everything seemed to come together was unplanned. How much do people need to plan? Ideally you planned. Right. Ideally, you have a plan. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. If you've got a right. plan, you're more likely to make it happen. But I've had lots of failures. I've had three or four startups, two which I were quite successful, tech companies, you know, a consulting company for tech stuff as well. And I sold two of them off and made, you know, a nice kind of bit of income from that. Um, the consulting thing, for example, I basically sold off and it paid me a dividend for 10 years, you know, which was really good. And the hardware kind of software solution, hardware more company that I set up, I, I sold to a friend. He ran it for many years. And he's still running it. And uh, that paid me. But I had a lot of failures before. So I think it's, uh, if you, if the question is, you know, do you have the mindset of, uh, of you know, persistence? Was that mindset there? I think to some extent it is. I think that it is in there. But I think you've got to find it sometimes as well. You know, we don't all start off like fearless. I was too scared to talk to another person at that interview because I thought I would be rejected. Mm -hmm. The reason why I chose that lady is I felt she came across as the, the nicest, as the gentlest, the most likely to say, yeah, the fear of reje rejection made me do that, you know? And I, I, I have to say that's happened a few times. In fact, I've made a pitch sometimes and it's not going anywhere. So look, thank you for your time. See ya. Then I'll try again, you know. Did you um persist in terms of like trying to get a girl? Yeah, always and failure mostly, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, well you know, not desperate actually. Yeah. If, and, and this might sound a bit, you know, funny, but I just felt 
if someone's like so desperate after a girl, it's cringy for the girl. I just felt uncomfortable. I don't want to invade their space, you know? I was very cognizant of the fact that it might be uncomfortable for them. And I think in a way that might be this guy's a bit cold or cool and he's not, you know, like a Klingon. So they're probably easier to get on with you and talk to you, you know, at least I think. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think it's a very fair comment. I think Lung would agree. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not scared to write to or talk to anybody, you know. And now, yeah. when I was younger, probably, when I've, I've spoken to random superstars and a good chat with them. You know, it doesn't bother me. There's just another human doing something different, right? So it, it's cool. Right. Well, as always, with these more personal podcasts we do, thank you so for sharing these stories and being so candid with them. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, the next part of the podcast, being a long-time listener, which is the reverse around, I'd like you to shoot away with your question. So I've got just one question with a few parts to it, which I want you to maybe maybe get a piece of paper right? <laughs> yeah. or at least think wow. about it. So, okay. yeah so like it's something i thought about and i've been asked uh, about this but imagine if you were stuck on a desert island right you're a desert island it's an amazingly beautiful island everything is there as you want it mm -hmm. you want to if you wanted cold it has cold if you wanted sunshine all the time it has sunshine mm -hmm. if you want to know crazy creepy animals or crawly people creepy crawlies they're not there it's the yeah. desert island of your dreams Okay. Water is there. Yeah. Food is there. You could ring up Omakase and it's there yeah, every day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can ring up, look, look, you can ring up McDonald's and they're going to bring yeah. you the oh, McDonald's. Like, I can ring up like Brad Pitt and then you're just like, come. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that later yeah. on. But yeah. you, you've got all the necessities. Yeah. Okay. Plenty of toilet paper. So you make sure you're yeah, clean. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if, so each of you, if you could take just one book yeah, to oh, read, that's so easy for me. Ooh, yeah, I like I, easy. You know, it's like my my favorite book of all time. So I don't even need to think about this. Go on, what is it? Uh, Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power. Like, oh, I, yes. I reread that like a Bible. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. off one. I haven't read that book. Yeah. But I, Maybe you it's, take that. It's, tempting, it's tempting to go along a book like that, you know, because something that came to my mind as soon as you asked, said, book was uh jordan peterson you know. oh wow yes yeah. because uh it'd have to be something philosophical um yeah. something about yeah deeply if you have got all that time i think it would be great to understand yourself right if you're a desert island and there's no one else there so i think something the island say it again because the island has everything you need, right? So wouldn't there be like a plane so you leave, right? <laughs> like... No, you're stuck there. <laughs> you're stuck there. But you know, it's all okay, fine. Right? fine. But that's okay. a good. Next question. part of the question. Yeah. So yeah, it's something. It's be something. It'd be a book like that where you can read every time. It would be different because those good books answer. are different. The more you progress through life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. And when you reread it, even like a movie, this so if you rewatch it. You mm. take different things from it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. speaking of movies, you can only watch one movie. What's it going to be? Oh, that is easy that's, for me. That's fucked up. <laughs> oh, that's so easy for Probably me. Dad, you're first. You're first. Oh, I, I'm going to definitely take Shawshank Redemption. Oh, that's yeah, heavy though. Well. You want to because... feel that? No, because like I need hope. I can leave the desert island. But you wouldn't want to leave it because okay, imagine it's your dream island. You could have like all the Victoria's Secret models there hanging out. 
Uh, did, did you say we can no, have human interaction that. like that? No, yeah. yeah. My you understanding is there's anything. no human reality. No, but is it dream island in you yeah. know, food? Material stuff. Island in terms of the scenery and the weather and yeah. all your necessities. You can't just oh. have, you know, I'd be looking for that island right now. Yeah. Okay, so you can't choose the people on the island as well. Well, we get there are that. those. There's no one there, right? Stick to the questions. Okay, <laughs> it's easy. Because in my head, I was like, there's all these like golden retriever puppies like running around and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Shawshank. I, I, I Shawshank. Never right. Shawshank, close second, Goodwill Hunting. But considering Ooh. the scenario you've painted me, Shawshank. Okay, Shawshank it is. Can I watch a series of them, like a series of movies <laughs> that are like connected? She, she's the like, girl that goes through like, Diaries or something. and takes things on and off, right? Yeah, it's like, could I like watch Lord of the Rings? But can I watch like all of them? Sure, I, why not? Yeah, then Lord yeah, of the you got, like, Are you a Lord of the Rings fan, dude? I watched the last one six times, and even the extended version. <laughs> like I, I love I, it that. So that's much. something I never knew about you. Yeah, like, you're wow. big Lord of the Rings. I love fan. the war scenes and everything. Yeah. Okay. Did you read the books? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no I, I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so Barry, is there another part? Yeah, there's a few more parts. Are we okay. adding people? Quickly, right? So this is, we won't waste too much time. So music. Uh you can choose a musician if you want. Or like an artist or whatever, or a band. Uh, it's hard to choose one song. That will drive me nuts, you know. Don 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 donkey. Can donkey. I be a okay. hey, can I be a producer? I've got one. No, it can't be. What's his name? No, it can't be him. Okay, fine. <laughs> what the band produced? Because <laughs> in my head, I was Foster. like David Foster, but there's a good mix of like yeah, yeah. different songs. Are like okay, you're always asking for more than the mile. Aren't I know, you? right? <laughs> See, this is why I'm going to succeed in life because I try. You know, I ask. I like it. Well, you ask and the answer is no. So okay. I'm not scared of rejection. So uh, yeah, you see, you're showing all the attributes. You know, you're persistent. Okay, <laughs> fine. Top of my head, Celine Dion. Okay. All right. Sorry to hear that, but great. <laughs> um, <laughs> tough call. But... Celine, sorry. Why are you saying that? Celine Dion's manager came to her house once in the UK, and he said, "Do you guys want to meet her and go to a concert?" Because my brother is organizing logistics, yeah. and we all look the other way. Sorry. Nineteen-year-old <laughs> <laughs> oh boys, twenty-year-old boys, you know, not interested. Maybe now, but sorry, Dan. Uh, I'm going to go for Mozart. Mozart. Mm. What's his top ten hits? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Concerto <laughs> number no, twenty-one, course. which is in amazing. like uh, no, the uh, James Bond theme, you know. Um, dude, he's joking, of course. I'm joking, dude. Oh, me. Yeah, my great choice. Actually, it's a great choice. Yeah, yeah someone else said I this on the podcast, which was like, I don't think I could hear the voices that like are lyrics all the time. That would drive me nuts. Yeah. Okay, right? fine. I so changed I think... my answer to Servo. His <laughs> <laughs> bad. <laughs> <laughs> right is there is, so, is there any more to this multi-part question yeah, two little know. parts it's taking yeah. a lot of time because we're talking too much so if you could take one personal you know item yeah from your current place your current home okay. it could be a watch it could be a teddy bear it could be an animal pet animal it could be anything you like but just one item because everything you're going to have there is you don't have right now 
So you're gonna get a new set of clothes. I'm just gonna bikinis for Lung Lung Who cares and uh, about clothes, mad bikinis for that. Yeah. Sorry? Like it, you wouldn't even care about clothes though, if you're there. I know, yeah, perfect. I'm deep in thought. Did you say mankini? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know how'd you know that? Look, <laughs> look, share the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are we bring? Like one thing. One thing, any item. Maybe my journal. I think. Oh, that's yeah. a good choice. I like that. I think. Uh, yeah, probably a watch, a mechanical watch, because uh, I wanted to keep track of time. Oh, great. Perfect. The waiting this podcast. The watch has come through. <laughs> I won't yeah. ask you which watch. <laughs> Grand secret. Nah, Rolex. I, I, I take my father-in-law's uh, Rolex. And it, oh, that's a good choice. I like that. So here's the last last part of this question. Mm-hmm. Is, is Think about it. So part of this one year, or whatever, yes, yeah, one year, and this yeah. contains island. You get to bring one person to see you just for one day. And this could be someone who's dead or alive. So it could be a family member you've lost. It could be a star you wanted to meet. It could be anybody. Who would you want to spend that only one day you have uh, with another human being? Who would it be? <laughs> okay, can I just ask you a really random part? Like I have a question, which is like, what is the state of this person? Like they're energetic, right? They're not like sleepy or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the person who's gonna come that i'm bringing like would they be in like a healthy state to speak like talk they'll be it's not gonna be a zombie okay okay you could say you could say elvis presley 1956 okay, <laughs> <if> you, <okay. laughs> you know not elvis presley 1978 when he's dead okay uh, i'd say my wife oh yeah dude, i know several's like dude are you serious <laughs> I'm like, dude, you had that opportunity and you chose your wife. Yeah. I'm joking. Okay. I'm joking. Yeah. It's a very good choice. Yeah. She told me you're a great guy as well. So it's well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Like, my usual choice would be Oprah, right? But I thought about this recently. Oh. I have an uncle that passed away when I was 16. And oh. now that I'm older, I realized that. Um, he lived such a uh, like he had such a crazy life like he was like um like a okay when he passed away I was too young to understand this but I knew that he was very successful and loved wine cigars and all the stuff but he was also really bad at business but I was always really confused like how could this guy that was so bad at business be like celebrated like on paper for his business <laughs> so I want to hear like what actually happened and oh, wow, that's uh, yeah and there was so much uh, controversy about how he died and whether it was like set up or not so i just wanted to like i would just want to find out everything wow yeah that sounds like a quite intriguing character yeah so that's who i think that's pretty I'm... that's pretty heavy yeah oh yeah. great thank you thank you very much that i think it's quite a long like... question but yeah, that was you know good. What, good you round. know what's crazy is that question put me in a state of mind where I actually felt really happy, just like fantasizing about this island. I know. Yeah. I did. I, I did. Yeah. I discussed this with my daughter the other day. Yeah. She was looking at me upset and, and she was a bit annoyed because of some school thing. And I just, yeah. while we were waiting for the bus, I asked her and she was really happy. She was like, oh, wow. could I do this? Could I do that? I thought, that's sweet. <laughs> so then I thought, I'll ask you guys. Yeah. Same reaction. I, I hope. Yeah. 
Thank right. You. Thank you very much. We now go on to the uh, pump push around. Slightly different. So I've I've uh, cut down the number of questions, but I think a bit more interesting, I guess. Number one, Servo, what was the best conversation you ever had and why? Steve Cropper in at the Grammys. He's a musician okay. at the Grammys. So I love I musicians. He's a musician who's a musician's musician. He's not the guy who's in the front of the stage. He's not the guy who everybody would necessarily recognize. But he wrote some amazing songs, you know, songs like Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, which sang by Otis Redding. And mm. it's old music. But for me, it, he was he was like, he was such a sweet guy. And he had so much time. In fact, I was with him for six hours or something at the Grammys. And like, there's people coming up to him, asking for photographs and all the rest of it. But he was pretty intense. And he introduced me to everybody as if I was his best friend. And, and my friend, my friend was with me. And it was just really refreshing. He was, he was an old guy. He's nearly 80, I think. But he speaks like a 25-year-old about music and about people, you know, passionate about people, passionate about music, passionate about doing good, you know. And I met so many people through him, actually, at that party, you know, which is great. Took a long answer. I'll be quick. I'll try to okay. be quick. No. Next one. If, if you asked a stranger to describe your children in one adjective, what would you want that adjective to be? That's a tough one. Yeah, one adjective. They're both inquisitive. That's what I can really say about them. They're they're not. They're very shy, but <laughs> there's this this thing about they're very kind of like you know nosy, what you want to call it. But they have something about them which is a bit, uh, I guess, uh, in a positive way, makes them constantly kind of you know interested in new things. So they, I think, looking, I was thinking like. like they'll talk to a stranger, you know, and be quite inquisitive. So I don't know what the best word to describe this, but that's describing them, I think. Okay. Uh, next one. What advice did you get from someone earlier in your career that you followed, but now in hindsight, wished you hadn't? And why? So one guy said to me, um, unless you are supplying drugs to, having sex with, or blood related to somebody in the music industry, you're never going to go anywhere. And I really thought I'm not doing any of those. It kind of hit me a little bit because the music industry is like that. The movies are the same. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, oh, maybe this, you know, and he'd been someone who tried it for years and was a great musician. It put me on a bit of a downer, but it actually also created a, you know, another kind of, you know, zest for doing something different. So I thank him, but also hate him. <laughs> you know? Okay. Next one. What is your biggest insecurity? Mm. Is it heavy? Mm. It's a bit of a heavier push, pop pusher. Sorry. Well, look, you know, I, I, I my daughter was sick today. We we're in hospital, and my, I'm very, very, I'm not very good with people getting sick around me. You know, too many of them died. No joking. You know, and uh, that's an insecurity. I don't like people to be sick, friends or foes. You know. So when I, 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 I am quite anxious about that. I suffer from anxiety. People aren't well. Friends or, like I said, you know, colleagues. Sorry to be negative, but that is really insecurity. I probably could do some therapy about that because I do think about it a lot, you know. And if they are sick, it bothers me. Right. Next one. Is there something right now that you know you're doing wrong <laughs> but haven't fixed yet? These I'm eating way too much. so negative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm eating way too much. Honestly, I, it's the fattest I've been in my life. And uh, 
and nothing fits. <laughs> so I got to do something about it. Yeah, I got to do something about that. It's, no, it's interesting, actually. I have to be honest, right? These these questions aren't original for me. These yeah. questions, I, t- I took them from another show. Yeah. Right? And it's interesting because it's actually from um, the Diary of a CEO. Oh. Right? Oh. So these are the questions that a guest, that guest writes. Oh, from the, the last guest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then and Lolan said this, so next, maybe, you know, that's interesting that these people go on that show talking about their whole life, essentially. And yet when they ask a question, it's pretty deep and, you know, deep. <laughs> yeah, it's deep. But uh, yeah. we are on the final one, okay, which is really straightforward. Actually. Thank goodness I'm sweating now. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a question you would like to ask the, ne- the next guest to answer. Tell me a question. Yeah. That you would like the next guest to answer. Or Ooh. ask a question. Yeah. That you would like the next guest to answer. I don't know who the next guest is going to be. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, what keeps them up at night? What's their insecurity? You know, what mm. makes them a bit, you know, anxious? Because I know what mine are. Mm. I'm always intrigued at whatever else is because on the on the face of it, we can't see, right? Yeah. Mm. Well, that rounds a thoroughly entertaining podcast with you, Servo. Mm. Guys, that's the end of part one. Make sure you check out part two. Thank you again, Servo, for coming on. Thank, Thank you. you very much. See you on the next one. See ya. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.